coming into the jobs market and depressing wages. Wages are not the only source of inflation, but I'm saying coming back to your report on 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 uh, on labour, uh, it's it's it really is a conundrum for inflation going forwards. Okay, thank you all very much. That was David Roche, President and Global Strategist at Independent Strategy. You heard Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, and now International Economics Correspondent Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, in Australia, the ASX 200 is up 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is off quite substantially, down 1.5% at the moment. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to add to its declines, falling about two-thirds of a percent at the open. Uh, Brent crude oil is up this morning in Asian trading at $75 a barrel. Uh, Gold has slipped a little bit, $1,795 an ounce. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Karen Coe. Let me give you an update uh, on the weather forecast uh, for this morning. If I can find it, here it is. Uh, Mainly cloudy with occasional showers and squalls. There will be isolated thunderstorms. Maximum temperature is going to be about 31 degrees. And then the outlook is for less showers tomorrow. Sunny periods, mainly fine and very hot on Friday and over the weekend. There is a standby signal number one. Enforced thunderstorm warning also enforced as well till 9 o'clock. 28 degrees, 89% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half. Samantha Butler has the half hour news for you. Political commentator Joseph Cheng says he's not surprised about a suspected bomb plot targeting public facilities across the city, saying there were similar reports during the anti-government protests in 2019. On Monday, police arrested six secondary school students and three others on suspicion of planning bomb attacks and seized explosives material. Mr. Cheng said, Mr. Cheng said there was considerable anger in society against the government and police, and authorities should engage in dialogue with the community to tackle the root causes of the discontent. Try to achieve stability, prove an erosion of the rule of law, prove the suppression of the articulation of different views is a very, very dangerous approach. And this is typically the approach of authoritarian regimes. And usually these attempts fail in the long term, if not in the intermediate term. The U.S. military has cancelled a $10 billion cloud computing project controversially awarded to the Microsoft Corporation by the former Trump administration. At that time, Microsoft's main rival, Amazon, accused Donald Trump of casting undue influence. Here's the BBC's James Clayton. Donald Trump never hid his disdain for former Amazon boss Jeff Bezos. He referred to him as Jeff Bozo on Twitter and regularly criticised the Washington Post, a newspaper that Bezos owns. When a lucrative cloud computing contract was given to Microsoft instead of Amazon, Amazon challenged the decision in the courts. The Pentagon says the decision to scrap the contract was to do with technology advances and didn't mention the legal challenge. In a statement, though, Microsoft said the Pentagon was faced with the choice of years of litigation or to find another path forward. The government in Britain has unveiled sweeping reforms of the asylum system that would make arriving in the UK without permission a criminal offence. The bill includes provision for offshore centres to process asylum seekers. Its opponents say it potentially breaks international law. Here's the BBC's Mark Easton. 
The migrant dinghies being towed into the tug haven at Dover docks almost every day represent a challenge to the Home Secretary and her commitment to control the country's borders. Without reciprocal agreements in place after Brexit, Priti Patel has been unable to deport a single one of the migrants her department has deemed inadmissible. Today, the Nationality and Borders Bill entered Parliament with the promise of new Home Office powers to put the traffickers out of business. But these powers require the agreement of other countries to make them work and few deals have yet been struck you're listening to the news on rthk Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chewett and your co-host today is Karen Coe. Karen, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about Article 23 and the public funding of NGOs. On Monday, the Deputy Head of the Legislative Affairs Commission of the MPCSC called on local authorities in Hong Kong to enact Article 23 of the Basic Law. He said the national security law, which punishes four types of crimes, is obviously insufficient to cover other possible acts endangering national security in Hong Kong. Shelved for 18 years, Article 23 requires Hong Kong to enact laws to prohibit treason, secession, sedition, subversion against the central government or theft of state secrets, as well as to ban foreign political organisations or bodies from conducting political activities in the city and local political organisations or bodies from establishing ties with foreign political organisations or bodies. Do we still need the law? And if so, when? How should it integrate with the national security law that we now have? And how will this Article 23 law be different from the one which was proposed back in 2003? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266, And uh, after 9.15, we're going to be discussing public funding of uh, NGOs, uh, charities in uh, Hong Kong, as the government task force suggests only small changes on are social workers getting a fair deal? What do you think of the latest report? Uh, let us know once again by emailing bankchat at rthk.hk or by calling on 233-88266. Although actually our lines are full at the moment, so you might want to, uh, probably best to uh, email uh, at the moment uh, or uh, or go to our Facebook page. We're joined for our first topic now, Article 23, by Lokin Hay, who's chairman of the Democratic Party and Southern District Council. Uh, Eric Lai, who's a research fellow with Georgetown University Centre for Asian Law. And Carol Peterson, professor of law at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, former director of the Centre of Comparative and Public Law at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, let's go to Facebook then. Uh, Henry on Facebook says that uh, the national security legislation addresses only part of Article 23, with quite a large part of Article 23 remaining to be drafted and acted, is a fact and has been made known a number of times. This, the delay has been going on for 24 years. To talk about this is pointless and a waste of time. The only thing to do is to get it done. No more dilly-dally. Does anybody want Hong Kong to be in the Guinness Book of Records for record delaying of drafting a bill? I wonder why you ask, do we still need the law? And if so, when? Do you have 
have a better topic to talk about? Do people feel tired of asking the same old question for 23 years? Could they find another more interesting topic to talk or care about? Or they just don't want Article 23, which is unpatriotic and may uh, and or may have ulterior motive? Do they want more people engaged in making bombs, which may kill themselves? That's uh, from Henry. Thanks very much indeed for that on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Lokin Hay, good morning to you. Morning. Thanks for, for for joining us. Uh, Henry says uh, we've got to um, uh, enact Article 23. Uh, we've waited uh, for a very, very long time. Let's get it done now. Do you agree? Well, I, I think. I think. I think. I think the, the question you put uh, at the very beginning is a very valid one because uh, with the national security law, I I see uh, it is a very broad one, and it is a very uh, far-reaching one. So, um, actually, I'm, I'm actually curious what the government is proposing to do with the new so-called uh, Article 23. So, um, I think that is uh, the question I am, I am I'm looking for an answer. Um, uh, well, uh, actually, uh, of course, there are some there are some uh, articles that, uh, that 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 may not be covered by the current uh, national security law in Hong Kong. Uh, for example, uh, the, the secret something like that. But um, uh, uh, let's be frank: um, the current national security law can do with that uh, without uh, mentioning uh, the 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 the. the uh, State secret. Uh, instead of uh, uh, they, they can do it in another way uh, by by telling us that uh, it is a subversion or it is uh, some kind of a foreign interference. Uh, it is all up to the uh, national security police in Hong Kong uh, to to define things. So um, I see the national security law in Hong Kong currently is a very broad one, and um, uh, uh, I think in in effect. Uh, the Article 23 uh, that is going to be uh, uh, legislated in Hong Kong will have no differences in Hong Kong actually uh, uh, regarding what we have what we have been seeing now. But but looking here, we it has to be enacted. I mean, it is in the basic law that the Hong Kong government has to do this on its own. We've known this for many many years. There was an opportunity back in 2003 for Hong Kong to do this and. In a way, it was kind of a lost opportunity because that would have been a time when there was uh, opposition in LegCo. The law could have been shaped for the Hong Kong way of life, and it's kind of our own fault, isn't it, that we don't we didn't take that opportunity? Well, uh, from what I from what I remember, uh, the opposition. Hello. Hello? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Can you start that sentence again, Mr. Lowe? Sorry, we, we, we lost you a little bit. Yes. Yeah. From what you remember? Uh, from what I remember, uh, opposition in the Legislative Council back in 2003 actually asked the government to propose a white paper instead of blue paper, uh, which is a more detailed uh, legislation. Uh, the, the, the articles, how are they going to be written and how are they going to protect the human rights, how are they going to uh, define some uh, uh, some 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 crimes uh, in a very clear way, so that Hong Kong people know what is going on and how uh, the, the the legislation, how the articles are being drafted. So um, at that point of time, I actually uh, remember that 
it is not uh, in principally uh, in principle uh, objection towards the Article 23, but the government chose not to do that, and and it, it stirs up a lot of Hong Kong people's fear. Uh, so. Um, Maybe somebody said it is because of some opposition that, but I would say it's the government's uh, responsibility failing to gain the trust of the Hong Kong people. And that is still the case now, uh, but with that national security law in Hong Kong now already in place, uh, I believe that uh, most, most of Hong Kong people uh, will will still be not happy with the Article 23 uh, and how are they going to be written, but um, they, they can still do it with the new Legislative Council. Uh, okay, we've got an email from Herman who puts it a little bit more pointedly. He says, uh, if Hong Kong had passed Article 23 legislation years ago, we might not have the NSL today. For that, we owe James Teen a big uh, sarcastic thank you. Now, setting aside the role of uh, James Teen in what happened in two, 2003, what about that point? If we had Article 23, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have sort of reached the point where we needed the NSL today. I have in mind. Of course, we can say that. Of course, we can say, okay, if you pass Article uh, 23 in 2003, then, then things will be different. But, but at the same time, if there are other articles that uh, that is written in the basic law that is or that is that is made pass, or, or, or for example, Article 45 and Article 68, uh, the 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 universal suffrage of the chief executive and the legislative council, then things will be different as well. So. Um, I, I think it is just people are just picking things that that are that are that are that are in favour of of their own views, of course. Um, and and at the same time, I think as what I've said, the government has failed to gain the trust of the Hong Kong people. Uh, and and I believe that uh, if the if the if if the trust of the Hong Kong people is not gained, if uh, the people didn't have uh, the faith in in the government and in in in, in the legislation, uh, it would be in a total chaos as well. So um, we're we're talking about a situation where Hong Kong people should be given a chance to oppose to something that they don't like or they couldn't see clearly. Uh, if that is not allowed, it. And, and and the government just do it, and, and you, we should just accept it, uh, then we're talking about another system uh, instead of uh, the original, what we have been expecting for the one country, two system. How, how could people oppose a proposed Article 23 legislation? I mean, at, in, at the present time, if you wanted to oppose it, how, how would you do it? Well, I think it is very difficult, and it is uh, very politically uh, dangerous because if you oppose to Article 23, they may say you have actually violated national security law because you are not protecting the national security of Hong Kong because that is so needed. Uh, so the, the 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 risk of opposing to Article 23 legislation is much higher now, um, and and and. And, and I also think the police have been denying Hong Kong people the right to protest for around two years already. So um, 
uh, we, we didn't have a legal protest that is uh, allowed it or that is accepted by the Hong Kong police for almost two years. And, and, and I think that is difficult for Hong Kong people to, to voice their opposition nowadays. Um, Eric Lai, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, thanks for joining us. Research fellow at Georgetown University um, Centre for, for Public for Federation Law. Um, well, you know, why didn't Beijing, why do you think Beijing didn't um, legislate for all these aspects of national security when it, when it gave us the national security legislation? Why was this, this strange kind of overlap? Some of the features of Article 23 were covered and, and, and others, uh, it seems, left, uh, um, left for, for Hong Kong. What was the thinking there, do you think? The enactment of the new national security law that uh, Hong Kong people have now is uh, properly politically driven. As uh, the, the Beijing officials also uh, stated clearly, it is a way to, to, uh, to react to or to struggle with so-called opposition forces in Hong Kong. And, uh, and another reason for the overlapping is as it's properly uh, a fact that Beijing wants to show its sovereignty and its absolute authority over Hong Kong, echoing uh, what Beijing has already proposed, an overall jurisdiction as early as 2014 in the White Paper. And now, when, uh, as we noticed yesterday in, uh, in, the, in the legal forum, some Beijing officials also declare that the National People's Congress Standing Committee has the right has the power to enact any laws for Hong Kong, and then they urged Hong Kong governments to legislate Article 23 as soon as possible. And it is obvious that they want to show if Hong Kong government, if the local community are not going to do it by themselves, then Beijing will uh, do it for the people, for Hong Kong society again. But why, but why did, uh, to Hugh's point, why did they leave out treason, sedition, theft of state secrets and uh, the ban on foreign political organizations uh, establishing ties with or local organizations establishing ties with foreign counterparts. Why would they not part of the NSL? I, th I think from the legal perspective, uh, it is uh, also tricky because the existing criminal laws in Hong Kong actually cover these offenses. If you look at the crimes ordinance, it already, the first part of the crimes ordinance is about treason and other treasonable acts, including secession. And if you look at the society's ordinance, there's already provisions that prohibit connections with foreign or Taiwan political organizations. And we also have an official secrets ordinance that prohibits threats of government secrets. So if they, I, 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 would, I would guess if Beijing uh, had uh, introduce a national security that cover all offenses. That would be another round of uh, 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 adaptations or naturalizations of laws between the local laws and the national laws, and that would be another uh, that would be another round of the legal debate. And this is also why some legal scholars in Hong Kong also suggested that rather than enacting new laws on uh, on the Hong Kong government's own according to the Article 23. It's also important to review the existing laws, whether they meet the requirements or they should be, they should be uh, reviewed or be, be, be amended in accordance with the principle of the 
human rights, international human rights law, or and the basic law uh, requirements. Well, if, as you say, those the, the, you know the, the, those uh, offences are covered already by by existing laws, uh, and, and other ones are covered by the national security uh, legislation, then uh, why does uh, why is Beijing insisting on or putting this pressure on the administration now? I think this is more of a political act uh, of the of the sovereign state of the central government. When when there's a new criminal laws, it creates new criminal categories and creates new targets uh, of people who may fall into that category. And given given that Zheng uh, Yanxiong, uh, the director of the Office of Safeguarding National Security, uh, gave a speech yet a few days ago, claiming that they need to continue the struggle with the opposition forces and they could not take any uh, compromises or any, lean, uh, any soft measures. And it seems that the, uh, the central government wants to continue this uh, act of uh, kind of political purge of all the dissenting oppositions uh, in Hong Kong society in order to implement what they call patriots administering Hong Kong. Uh, but they've been pretty effective at that, haven't they? The, where, where is the opposition in Hong Kong now? It's, it's probably how, it, it depends on how do you define opposition. There are moderates or pro-government uh, politicians who claim themselves as uh, uh, opposition or are loyal oppositions. But in many eyes of the Hong Kong people, perhaps they are not opposition politicians, they are not opposition groups, but they are simply a kind of uh, uh, moderate or pro-government pro uh, politicians with a facade of, uh, of uh, supporting democracy. But I guess uh, what, what, what does uh, opposition truly mean is uh, in uh, genuine fair and free elections, uh, candidates from all kinds of political beliefs should be engaged and should be allowed to run for elections. And seems it would not be any case in the future elections in Hong Kong. So, uh, Eric Lai, do you think that, um, I mean, John Lee has said this, this Article 23 law must be implemented as soon as possible. Uh, Carrie Lam said she doesn't think it can be done before the end of her term in 2022, but they want to lay the groundwork. Are they um, thinking about other unintended consequences? I mean, sure, if, if there are people who genuinely oppose the uh, mainland government, then they're going to be covered. But there could be other unintended consequences of especially laws regarding sedition um, and uh, political, political organizations or even NGOs who are trying to achieve certain things, then being worried about being swept up by these laws and stopping their work or reducing their work or exiting Hong Kong. And that can have negative consequences for society. It is very difficult uh, for the government uh, not to introduce any public consultation prior to the legislation uh, regarding Article 23. Whatever, how rapid, how how quick uh, the consultation process will be, there must be like, some kind of public consultation in accordance with with the local uh, with the local laws in Hong Kong. So, I, this is is understandable that uh, if uh, bureaucrats uh, in the government 
know the know how difficult and how comprehensive a public consultation should be uh, regarding this uh, legislative uh, attempt, then there must be uh, debate within the government or discussions with the advice of the Department of Justice to see how how the bill should be drafted and how should the government uh, present the bill not just to the local people but also to the business sector in Hong Kong, foreign investors and uh, or for uh, foreigners, expatriates uh, who resides in Hong Kong and who works in Hong Kong. Uh, Professor Carol Peterson, uh, good day to you. Many thanks for, for, for joining us once again. What, what would you make of the, 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 the uh, politics of this? Why, why now would Beijing be uh, pushing in this very public way for Article 23? Who is it, who is it addressed to? Is this cracking the whip on, on the administration, the current administration, or, or what? what do you, how do you see it politically? you asked earlier, why didn't Beijing cover treason, sedition, theft of state secrets in the first national security law that the MCC standing committee adopted? I think one has to go back to that question first. And I do think the reason they didn't is because those offenses are addressed in the crimes ordinance. And the society's ordinance was also amended in 1997 to allow for you know, prohibiting societies with foreign political connections. So I don't think that Beijing could have credibly said, we have to act now to fill this big legal gap, when if they had drafted a law at that time that covered so many offenses that were already covered in Hong Kong law. So I think that, in terms of why now are they want, do they want to force or push the Hong Kong government to do it, I think it's because, first of all, they want to credibly be able to say that Hong Kong enacted some of the national security laws on its own. Um, and, of course, now that they've eliminated any real opposition in LegCo, they feel they can pretty much dictate terms of that legislation. And I think they would like to draft the new legislation in terms that are quite similar to some of the procedural problems we see with the national security law, such as the presumption against bail. And so what I, I think seeing here is a, a combination in a way of Beijing, on one hand, wanting to be able to say to the world, and perhaps the Human Rights Committee, when it reviews Hong Kong, uh, probably in 2022, oh, oh, yes, we allowed Hong Kong to implement Article 23 on its own once it learned its lesson that it had to do so. Uh, but in reality, the law that is enacted by this LegCo, the new politically loyal LegCo, I suspect is going to look a lot like the law that the NPC Standing Committee promulgated and in terms of its procedural problems. So I... To me, I just, I mean, I, it, I'm only speculating as to what Beijing is really thinking, but I do think it's very uh, unwise because I think Hong Kong people right now are so traumatized by this law. Um, Carrie Lam said it's only going to be used against a small number of people, and, and, and they kept talking about how it was necessary to stop the violence. But if you look at the list of the people who've been arrested and charged, it's almost entirely for either nonviolent speech acts or nonviolent political activities like organizing a primary. So it's clearly not 
been used to stop violence. It's been used to stop peaceful expressions of dissent. And the Hong Kong people are traumatized by this, and the international community is, you know, really shocked. Hong Kong's reputation has been injured in the international press. And so why do it right now? I mean, to do it right now, I think is very dangerous for Hong Kong, unless I'm wrong, and maybe the intent is to allow the Hong Kong legislature to implement these offenses in ways that are more similar to the proposals that we saw in 2003 and more compatible with Hong Kong's common law legal system. If that's the intent, then it might be a good idea. Do you... Because it might help to reassure people, but I doubt that that's the intent. So, Carol Peterson, I mean, the thing that worries people and um, about the national security law is the fact that it's so vague that you don't know whether you've broken the law until after you've broken the law when they say that this is what you've done. And I think that is, you know, one of the things that people are worried about with Article 23. Do you think if Hong Kong legislators as they are would draft this law, it would be specific or would it be similar to the national security law? Well, I would hope they would be specific, and, and I would, on one point, I do think some parts of the national security law are very specific. I mean, if you look at Article 29 on foreign collusion, there are some clear red lines that you know you can't cross now, right? You cannot ask a foreign government to adopt sanctions, and that's clearly spelled out. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right. There's lots of other language that is very broad and very vague, and in fact, that was one of the problems in 2003, the 2003 legislation wasn't all bad. Quite a lot of it was good. And the mistake, it wasn't just James Tien who made a mistake. I disagree with the, the caller who made that point because what James Tien and other legislators were and members of EXCO were asking for is a white paper so that we can be very specific about the legislation so that we can ask questions about any vague language. And I actually thought in July we were getting there when Chung Chihua came out and made those three confessions. I fully expected the government to take a step back, go a little more slowly, and answer those questions because okay. legislators well, had legitimate questions. Okay, for Peter, I'm sorry, we've got we've got a break for for the news at, at nine. Let, we'll, we'll come we'll come back to that issue to 2003 and to uh, 2021, and we want to hear from you as well. Drop us a line back at rthk.hk. The weather: the standby signal number one in effect, as well as the thunderstorm warning. Cloudy today, 29 degrees. Humidity is at 86 percent. But says it's determined to retake districts seized by the Taliban. The Afghan National Security Advisor says some more remote military bases had been hard to supply, but denied reports that Afghan soldiers had defected to the Taliban. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat this Wednesday morning with Karen Coe and me, Hugh Chutin. We're talking about uh, Article 23. Uh, this is after uh, calls uh, to uh, enact Article 23 of the uh, Basic Law, the uh, article, of course, which uh, uh, calls on uh, the Hong Kong administration to uh, uh, introduce national security legislation. Although, of course, we have the national security law now. Uh, we're talking about that with uh, Carol Peterson, Professor of Law at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Eric Lai, Research Fellow 
fellow at Georgetown University Center for Asian Law and Lokin Hay, chairman of the Democratic Party and Southern District Council. We want to hear from you as well. Uh, email bankchannel.rthk.hk. Uh, we'll read out your messages or so we'll do our best to. Uh, or you can go to our Facebook page as well. Share your thoughts there. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Later, we're going to be talking about a new report on the public funding of uh, NGOs, how government money gets to uh, local charities and uh, the fairness of that. We'll be talking to someone from the Council of Social Services. Uh, once again, uh, email backchat at rthk.hk. Okay, some interesting uh, comments. Um, Vic says, Dear Backchat, yes, we need more laws. Of course. How do you justify paying big sums to the rubber stamp LegCo? Hope the authorities have the same determination in imposing laws like illegal parking, double parking, jaywalking, leaking aircon, competition, etc., as vigorously as they are imposing NSL. We laymen are too thick to understand the workings of the lamb circus. That's uh, from Vic. Uh, Alan says on Article 23, the NSL already allows anyone to be arrested and locked up indefinitely. So go ahead and bring in Article 23, fake news laws, whatever else. Whatever pretext the government chooses to use, the result is the same. What a coincidence that the police discover a bomb plot now. All the lies and BS about black hands, terrorism, CIA will be brought to a fever pitch. So tiring the talk that these laws will bring peace and save Hong Kong. This is like a man who beat his wife to death saying she kept complaining so I had to keep hitting her. That's uh, from Alan. And uh, Bowen says... Um, Dear Backchat, it's naive to think that if Article 23 legislation had been passed in 2003, Beijing would not have passed NSL for Hong Kong. The enactment of NSL is the result of Hong Kong's rejection of the extradition bill, which precipitated the 2019 protests. It ha also has to be remembered that the extradition bill was aimed at, among others, foreigners who commit crimes, presumably anywhere, which are targeted at the Chinese state or its citizens. That is what Wen Po and Ta Kung Pao reportedly cited an authoritative source as saying the bill could cover if passed, following Vice Premier Han Jung's Shenzhen meeting with Hong Kong and Macau delegates in May 2019. The meeting was widely reported at the time, and some attendees were reported to say Han Jung mentioned there were four categories of people the bill was aimed at, including that of the foreigners mentioned above. In short, Article 23 legislation, as proposed in 2003, did not cover, and circumstances then did not implicate a need to cover foreigners committing acts targeted at the Chinese state or its citizens in, say, the US and the UK. That's from Bowen. Okay, and we are talking with uh, Carol Peterson. She's Professor of Law at University of Hawaii at Manoa, former director of the Centre of Comparative uh, and Public Law at Hong Kong U. So before the news, uh, Professor Peterson, you were talking about what happened in 2003. One, you know, one thing that was interesting is that that... That um, draft legislation never got off the ground, partly because of huge public opposition. And what uh, you know, what I'm curious about now is if I this next iteration comes around, and Eric Lai referred to it, will there be a public consultation? Does there have to be a public consultation, or is this just something that that the government can introduce into LegCo, have their three readings, and pass the law? Procedurally, right now, the government could cram it through very quickly because of the lack of opposition in LegCo, but also because of the fear that most common people will have uh, about joining any protest march. So, uh, I mean, even five or six people could be arrested if they go to Victoria Park and light a candle. So <laughs> why would anyone in their right mind join a, a march the size of what happened on July 1st, 2003? So, yes. 
strictly speaking, I think they could do it. The question is whether it's wise. And I always say, you know, it's foolish to ignore the lessons of history. And to me, the lessons of 2003 should be that a government that tries to cram something through just because they, have, they think they have the votes and the government thought they had the votes in 2003, um, that's a mistake. It makes more sense to consult the public, to try to reassure the public, uh, to try to draft a law in a way that is consistent with Hong Kong's common law tradition and maybe actually win some more support from the people. Uh, but right now, I don't see Carrie Lam's government taking that approach. I mean, I thought at the news break, the comments quoted from Joseph Cheng were very wise. The government should be trying to engage in dialogue, but I don't see it. Um, Lokin Hay, maybe you could react to a couple of the uh, emails that we've got. Martin. Uh, says, uh, first of all, in addition to filling the loopholes not handled by the NSL, enacting Article 23 is a constitutional obligation. The argument made that the majority of people are opposed to Article 23 and the NSL by a district councillor seems rather based on his personal political view or opinion. Uh, Martin says, last week, the Citizens' Opinion Survey on the first anniversary of the implementation of the national security law in Hong Kong was released. Uh, a survey found that 60% of Hong Kongers believe that the national security law does not adversely affect their rights and freedoms, while another 40%, 7% thinks it's increased their sense of security. According to the survey, 29% of respondents believe that the national security law has a positive impact on their rights and uh, freedoms. This is a, this is a survey conducted by the Hong Kong Research Association. Uh, uh, and, uh, and a comment from uh, Andrew Kay, who says, as a Hong Kong permanent resident, I would like to inform your American legal expert, I am not traumatised by the uh, NSL. Um, uh, Lokin Hay, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you think about that argument? A lot of people in Hong Kong are very happy with the NSL, welcome the, uh, the NSL, and uh, would welcome more uh, national security legislation if it brings peace to our streets. If that, is, if that is the case, just make sure that everybody can run for election and let's see how the public will react and how the public will vote. That is, that is, that is, um, uh, I, I think it's, it's all right for them to be happy. It's all right for them to be okay with the national security law. But as I have seen, a lot of Hong Kong people, they're just scared by the national security law. And, and for the other 23, um, the government can do whatever they want now. So, Give us the draft and let us look at it, and we can judge whether or not we can support it. Um, that is the case in 2003, and that is the case for 2021. Now, uh, if you don't have the draft and you keep on talking about it, and you and and and, and you said everybody everything is okay, uh, then uh, nobody can actually uh, give you a, a a concrete comment on how how they feel. So, um, to me, if the draft of the new Article 23 is, is, is not uh, protecting the human rights or is not, uh, uh, is not respecting the people's right, uh, in, 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 which is enshrined in, in the basic law, then we will have a say, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on talking about those things. Uh, that, is, that is for certain. But um, uh, I, I'm also curious uh, how the Article 23 will be drafted, whether or not it will follow the national security law uh, that is drafted by the NPCSC, or it will follow the Hong Kong common law traditions, uh, whether or not uh, there will be extradition back to mainland China if they see fit, uh, whether or not uh, the people can get bail, uh, 
before the 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 the, the cases actually being heard. Um, I think those things uh, will 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 be will be will be um, some some of the things that Hong Kong people uh, are curious about. I'm not talking about actually very concerned about because, uh, as I have said. Uh, Current national security law has already covered a lot of things, and they can they can use it to cover a lot of things, uh, even though we don't think it may be covering those things uh, in those articles. Uh, but but at the same time, I think Hong Kong people deserve to know whether or not the Hong Kong Legislative Council will draft a law, a local law, uh, in a way of Hong Kong law uh, tradition, or in a new national security law way of. Uh, that is some curious things that, that I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to see. And Lokin, hey, if if they do choose the the more traditional Hong Kong way of, of drafting according to common law, do do you think that people trust the process? Whether or not they trust the government is another thing, but do they trust the legislative process? I think I think the, the trust among Hong Kong people, uh, among Hong Kong people and the institution, is actually very broken. Uh, uh, the, the trust is gone uh, because uh, in 2019, when Hong Kong people do it uh, in a very peaceful way, the first few months of the of the of the extradition bill is is put into the legislative council. Uh, Hong Kong people voice their opposition and they and they do it in a very very civilized uh, and peaceful way. They raise their concern. They uh, have some signature campaign. Uh, all the society, all the uh, professionals, uh, they have uh, written letters to the Hong Kong government that there will be some problems if they keep on doing that in their own ways. Uh, they do it in a very uh, civilized manner, but all those things were ignored. So um, I think people are losing uh, faith in the institution because of that. So um, nowadays, if they push, uh, if they could force the Article 23. I think the same case is 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 going to happen again in Hong Kong. The people will not trust the process, uh, but of course the government can still uh, rush it through. Um, you know, the Article 23, of course, does does specify that um, that uh, the the administration has to, on its own, or Hong Kong has to, uh, on its own, pass the uh, the, the legislation. Um, Eric Lai, you know, you were saying that Beijing wants to um, uh, carry out that. Uh, you know, meet that requirement to to uh, for the uh, Article Twenty Three legislation to be introduced on, on its own by the Hong Kong administration. Um, does that mean? Um, what does that mean for those other provisions? Things like juries, whether the judges will be uh, picked. Um, you know, in, in general, the whole the role of the uh, national security um, uh, machinery uh, and so on. Whether that will apply to the the Article Twenty Three. So. Is there a lesson to be learned there? What do you think? I, I would hope that if the government introduces the uh, public consultation of the draft bill, draft bill, and all these issues that related to due process should be addressed to the public and should be open for uh, public uh, public engagement, uh, but not to uh, to set uh, hard. Uh, uh, decisions uh, on the arrangements. As you can see, uh, the arrangements of no jury trial in uh, national security law trials already caused loss of backfire and 
uh, mistrust uh, from the from the local society, from the legal professionals, as well as uh, from the uh, from from uh, from the business community. And there's also concerns whether the practices of uh, closed trials or uh, extraditions to Chinese justice systems uh, will also be copied in the local in the in the local uh, legislation. And this. I, I, I would still hope there, are, there would be a, a certain degree of public consultation to it, but I, I, would, I would be pessimistic because at the end, the Legislative Council uh, in the current setting would uh, undoubtedly pass any bills the government wants. If, but if, if they were really smart, wouldn't they use this as an opportunity to actually rebuild trust? I mean... What better way to rebuild trust than to take the most controversial issue and actually allow people to have an open dialogue about it? I guess if, if the government wants to build trust with the people, the first thing they should, should do is to first to listen to what the people want. And uh, people will only see the local legislation with broad consultations or with uh, conventional uh, consultative process and legislative processes that creating uh, the draconian laws uh, already that, that's how, that is already implemented in Hong Kong. And, and we all know that uh, the new national security law enacted by Beijing uh, is, remains a superior status uh, over issues of national security in Hong Kong at large. Okay, here's a, uh, uh, an email from uh, L, who says, Dear Backchat, uh, where, uh, where are we? We are now with the... We, sorry, we are where we are now with the NSL because China has had to fast-track laws due to the crazy and violent riots which crippled Hong Kong for over a year. The rioters changed everything for Hong Kong. They had no love for our city and were there to pull us apart. Hong Kong was overall a very peaceful and safe place before these violent criminals took it upon themselves to storm around having no care for us law-abiding Hong Kong people along the way. No country would have turned a blind eye to what happened here. I personally feel a lot safer here now than I did in 2019 and have huge respect for the Hong Kong police and what they have to deal with. Why is Hong Kong criticised for bringing in an NSL when so many other countries in the world, especially those that are critical of Hong Kong, have exactly the same? And as far as other countries talking about human rights and freedoms, wow, the hypocrisy and double standards are mind-blowing. Tell them all to remove the logs from their own eyes before they can comment about the splinters in Hong Kong eyes. That's from uh, L. Carol Peterson, do you want to respond to that? I agree with the commentator on one point, which is the people who resorted to violence in 2019 really were horrible. And I completely condemn that, and I always did. And I think that they did open an opportunity for Beijing to impose a draconian law. However, I disagree with the idea that this law, the national security law, is what stopped the violence. Because if you look at the people who have been arrested, they have not been arrested for acts of violence. With the exception of the person who drove his motorcycle into the group of police, and we don't even know if he did it deliberately yet, but with the exception of that, if you look at the list of arrests, people are not being arrested under the national security law for acts of violence. Those people, the people who engaged in vandalism or violent protest techniques, they are being prosecuted under the pre-existing Hong Kong laws. Um, the people who are being prosecuted under the national security law are, by and large, by the vast majority being prosecuted for peaceful expressions of political opposition. Okay, well, um, many thanks, uh, Carol Peterson. Uh, Jim, in an email, says... 
As a PR, I can run for public office. Uh, some public office, yeah, Jim, but not all. Um, Jim says, for the lady in the States, I am American and I'm more traumatized while DWB in America. I loved and served America for 62 years. I've loved Hong Kong for 45 years. No intimidation in Asia. Please walk a mile in my shoes. That's from uh, Jim H. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. And uh, many thanks to our guest this morning, to Carol Peterson, Professor of Law at the University of Hawaii at uh, Manoa, to Eric Lai, Research Fellow at Georgetown University Centre for Asian Law, and Lokin Hay, Chairman of the Democratic Party and Southern District Council. Thank you all very much indeed for uh, joining us uh, this morning. Uh, a couple of other comments. One from uh, from uh, Jim H. It's just following up on the on the discussion about a um, it was about Eastern Express and a satellite dish. Uh, I think uh, uh, Jim's kind of talking about something else, but it's kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, he says I was uh, that disc uh, was American property used to collect information on China, not fake news. I think. The Eastern Express thing was, was something else. Anyway, as I say, uh, Jim says, I was personally involved in the midnight removal. During the Cold War, with the cooperation of the British administration, a listening device was placed on Taimoshan. In 1978, when relations were normalised between the United States and the PRC, the device and dome were removed. I worked at the Defence Liaison Office, Hong Kong, and was involved in the coordination of its dismantlement and removal. Uh, we left a large concrete slab on Taimo Shan where the device was mounted. Following that removal, myself along with others were assigned to the new defence attaché Beijing circa in March 1978. We collected information at the source. News to you, I guess, but now fake. That's from uh, Jim H. Uh, Bob says, uh, on the subject of flowers for a murderer... Uh, Tuesday morning is one day uh, that I generally catch a reasonable amount of back chat as I happen to be driving to Saikung. However, this morning I was disappointed to find that you have not decided to discuss the issue of people showing sympathy to the attempted murderer of the policeman on July the 1st, even bringing flowers. I've no doubt you've seen the extremely impassioned video by Yondan Latu on this subject. So my question is, as this is clearly a matter of public interest, why has Backchat elected to put their head under the covers? Or is it that you might find yourself having to take a very clear opinion against this type of behaviour, which is clearly a major problem here in Hong Kong and deserves a debate? Maybe it'll be on tomorrow. I'll tune in. That comes uh, from uh, Bob. Uh, just, just your message. That was written yesterday, uh, by the way. I wanted to turn finally uh, today. Oh, yeah, by the way, Bob, we don't, we don't take a, a clear opinion uh, on anything uh, in, in the programme. <laughs> That's not really the point of, of the programme. Uh, we want to turn finally today to a, a new report which has been issued on the public funding system for Hong Kong's uh, social uh, welfare uh, organisations. Uh, basically, the uh, lump sum grant and other aspects uh, will uh, remain, uh, but uh, executives will be forced to disclose uh, their pay. Uh, industry uh, representatives uh, were lukewarm about uh, some aspects of the uh, of the uh, scheme. The report was released uh, on Monday. A task force under the Labour and uh, Welfare Bureau making 30 recommendations, including the lump sum uh, retaining the lump sum grant uh, program. Uh, here's an email from Mary, uh, who says, In November 2017, the Audit Commission report highlighted how underperforming groups continue to receive full public funding while some agencies misuse grant money. This was followed in 2018 by an investigation into the annual reports of major social welfare organisations that revealed, among other startling facts, that senior staff at some of the organisations earn more than civil servants at social welfare of the same rank. LegCo conducted its own review, and, and we now have the outcome. And surprise, surprise, 
surprised little change to the gravy train is proposed. The organisations under scrutiny can be relied on to support the government and their boards are stacked with the usual worthy appointees. Anyone who expected that the remuneration formula would be rebalanced in favour of the drones who do the hard work needs a reality check. Now that accountability has been jettisoned and political reliability is the mantra, executives at the NGOs can look forward to lucrative deals while the rank and file will see their wages stagnating. That comes from Mary. For a comment now, we're joined by Cliff Choi, Business Director at the Hong Kong Council of Social Services. Mr Choi, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Thank you very much yeah. indeed for, for joining us. Well, first of all, I mean, what's your reaction to the report? What do you make of this report? Yeah, um, I think um, uh, that is a very good opportunity for the, uh, the sectors and the community uh, to look into the uh, funding issues of the uh, social uh, welfare services here in Hong Kong. Uh, first of all, I think um, I fully agree that um, accountability and transparency are very important uh, to earn the trust from the public. And indeed, the factors, uh, uh, we have a very good governance system um, uh, for the NGOs uh, being subvented by the government. Uh, we uh, have invited the public um, uh, leaders, uh, uh, the social leaders, uh, to sit in the board and to have a good governance on the, on the NGOs. And we see the lead to uh, continuously improve the governance system so uh, we uh, can look into the resources to spend uh, uh, properly and uh, correctly. And uh, for the expectations on the on the report, uh, of course, uh, we would like to look into the, uh, the 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 current trend and the lead of the community. Uh, as we look, uh, the lump sum grant system has been launched 20 years ago, and uh, uh, in the past two decades, uh, we see a lot of changes uh, in the communities. The social lead are uh, increasingly uh, 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 change very fast. So um, uh, we, 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 we want to look into, uh, we are looking forward to, uh, to the review of the, uh, for example, the uh, staffing establishment, uh, the allocations of resources, all these things. We are glad that um, the government uh, realized the importance of the review of the service and, and the staffing establishment. Uh, but un unfortunately, um, the government in the report just said uh, they will look into the service review issues in the coming years. Uh, we consider that uh, the pace is too slow yeah, because the lead of the community is so great. So uh, uh, we want to speed up the process so the service can be uh, more um, uh, 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 targeted to those in need. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's our main concern. Yeah. Cliff, Joy, I mean, I, I wasn't very familiar with how the lump sum grant program works, and maybe some of our listeners aren't as well. Can you tell us, explain how it works and what the problems are with it? Yeah, uh, the, the spirit of lump sum grant is to provide the flexibilities of the, uh, for the NGOs to use the government funding to address the, uh, 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 the changing social need. So uh, the, uh, the funding is uh, uh, in the way of lump sum, so uh, the government can, uh, uh, can provide the resources to the NGOs and, and set a funding and services agreement. Uh, so the NGOs can uh, 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 provide service according to the funding and services agreement and, and allocate the resources uh, 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 according to the social lead. And, 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 and as I said, there is a good governance system in, in, in our sector. So uh, we have public uh, representatives to look after, to provide as a board members uh, 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 to look uh, uh, to steer and to, and to look into the resources. Yeah. 
But does it does it not also mean that um, social welfare, welfare organisations are really not accountable? You know, they get this money, they can pretty much do what they like with it, um, especially when they talk talking about recovering indirect costs like salaries. And top executives can pay themselves whatever they want because they have the power to to decide to make that decision. That that's not really great for transparency. And I would imagine it's also quite a disincentive for um, frontline workers to stay with the organization? I think there is some misunderstanding on, on, on what you mentioned about accountability and, 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 and the freedom to use the, the money. Uh, of course, uh, we are not, uh, 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 can do what, whatever we want to do. Yeah, we are uh, uh, under, under the, the monitoring of the government and, and the monitoring of the, uh, the board internally. Yeah, so... Um, uh, uh, even the chief executive of the, of, of the NGOs cannot decide their, their own salary by themselves. Uh, they, uh, uh, there is a lot of rules set by the government and and and, and monitored by the by the board. And and and, and some NGOs they they even have internal audit, internal control mechanisms to look after all these resources. So so I I, I can't agree that uh, we can uh, 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 we can use by our own, uh, we can decide by our own. And, and more importantly, the, the spirit of, uh, of the lump sum grant is the 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 the, 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 um, um, uh, 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 the way to allow the, uh, the NGOs to respond to the social need in a more uh, effective and efficient way. Yeah, that is, that is the spirit of of, of the lump sum grant. So we do not need uh, to strictly follow government bureaucracies. Yeah, in the use of resources. Yeah, that's the spirit of Lam Grant. But, but uh, you know, the, the email from Mary was suggesting, and I think some other people have expressed concern, that um, uh, it'll be the social workers, it'll be the people on the front line uh, who will be suffering, uh, that it'll be the... Um, because there's nothing to stop the, uh, the people in charge, the executives of the NGOs, uh, pocketing uh, all the money and not, not sharing it uh, properly uh, with those who do the hard work at the front line, as I say. Yeah, I think as the as as the as the report uh, has suggested that uh, the the uh, uh, the NGO has to establish their um, the salary structures and the staffing structures and and it, it has to be transparent so uh, the public can uh, understand uh, 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 can can know the structures of of of, of uh, individuals NGOs so so it it, it it is transparent and 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 accountable and of course I think. Um, uh, 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 some some frontline NGOs may may um, uh, 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 has concerned that uh, they are not uh, well paid as as government. Yeah, uh, that is true. Yeah, that is true. Uh, and 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 uh, uh, because of um, uh, uh, the inadequacies of the funding, um, uh, in, in some cases, I, I think. Um, there are some gaps between uh, government-paid social workers and NGO-paid social workers. So, 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 so we fully recognize this gap. And 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 what we want to uh, suggest to government is to how to fix this problem. Yeah. What What would be some ways they could fix the problem? I think the benchmark, uh, uh, the way to calculate the the the, 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 form, the formula of of the subventions. Right, right now it, it's called a benchmark uh, 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 subvention. So it, it, it's based on, on a benchmark. The benchmark is calculated based on the midpoint of uh, a, a salary scale uh, of the master pay scale. 
Yeah, and if he improves this kind of benchmark, the, the, the angels have more uh, cap- capacities to, in, to 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 improve the salary uh, payment of frontline social workers. Yeah, uh, that is what we we, we always uh, suggest governments to reconsider this kind of uh, calculation. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, unfortunately, in the report, uh, uh, they refuse to do that, and, and uh, we do not give up. Uh, we will try uh, our best to to uh, encourage government to revisit this problem. Okay, well, Cliff Choi, uh, many thanks for joining us, Business Director with the Hong Kong Council of uh, Social Services. Thank you very much indeed. Karen, thank you very much. Thank you, Hugh. And the weather before we go, many cloudy with occasional showers and squalls. There will be some isolated uh, thunderstorms. Uh, the maximum temperature today about 31 degrees. The outlook less showers tomorrow and there will be sunny periods. Uh, mainly fine and very hot on Friday. And over the weekend, the standby signals uh, number one still in place. 30 Celsius now, relative humidity at 84%. Many friends ask me why I'm so determined to do exercise for at least half an hour every day. Well, if you try it, you'll know why. It's all about sweating. Every time I exercise until I sweat, it's like I overflow with joy and strength. And I feel great for the rest of the day. August 1st is sport for all day. Come on, let's move and sweat. For details, please visit lcsd.gov.hk. 9.33, the news now with Samantha Butler. Political commentator Joseph Cheng says he's not surprised about a suspected bomb plot targeting public facilities across the city, saying there were similar reports during the anti-government protests in 2019. He said there was considerable anger in society against the government and police, and authorities should engage in dialogue with the community to tackle the root causes of the discontent. The founder of Green Earth, Edwin Lau, says a public consultation on a plastic bottle recycling scheme received an overwhelming number of responses, over 4,600. He said many felt a 10-cent refund for returning a bottle was too low. And the governor of New York State, Andrew Cuomo, has declared a disaster emergency following a surge in gun violence there. He said more than 50 people had died in shooting incidents over the 4th of July weekend alone. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you, and welcome to Wednesday. It's the Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. Well, it's music day today. At 10.40, we're going to welcome back composer and conductor Colin Touchin for our midweek classical music session. Today, as you will undoubtedly know, a lot of pieces are known commonly by nicknames or pseudonyms or just stuff the composers added rather than their full title. Often it's easier for us to just 